In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we are Matthew 5, verse 6, as we go through the Beatitudes. This is the fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Or I'm not sure what translation he's using up there, but it's the one I know. Uh, and uh, Michael Beavers will be taking us through this one. Okay. So there are two ways that tonight is, is absolutely a guaranteed win. One way is that is that you just had a worship experience that was amazing. Um, and uh, pretty much every time John and Sally have led a group I was in in worship, it's been an amazing experience. So that's a guaranteed win, no matter what happens in the next few minutes. <laughs> the other way it's a guaranteed win is that I have had a really, really good time preparing this. That God has really used this in my spiritual Formation. So if he takes any part of it and uses it for yours, that would be cool. Um, but if not, just relax and be patient. And, and uh, so you got two ways that this is totally a guaranteed win. Um, and, uh, and I actually got to choose this tonight. This wasn't just assigned to me. I actually got to choose this. So I think I, choose, I chose the very best one. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's really been a... It's really been a nice, a nice discovery for me, and a nice um, experience of of really answering the key questions about this text. And I'm glad to share some of, some of that with you. Um, and uh, so here's where where we're going. Here's a quick summary of where we're going going tonight. One thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what righteousness is and what it isn't. Um, so when I talk to Brandon about this earlier, we, we talk, talked about like part one righteousness and part two, and we'll, we'll talk a little, little bit about that and what, what, that, what that means, but also especially what righteousness isn't and what the dangers are in that. We'll talk about means of grace um, and, uh, and like spiritual practices to put us in a place where God can do and wants to do whatever it is that he needs to do next to bring us closer to becoming like Christ. Um, and, uh, and we're going to pray, but, but I should tell, tell you that I feel like, like I'm, I'm less skilled and experienced at doing this kind of thing, and I'm more skilled and experienced at doing prayer. So if you find me praying throughout this, that's why I'm com- comfortable Praying, um, and uh, and I really like praying. I think praying is is a really really important thing. There's many times that I that I spend time with a client or someone I care about, and I feel like I'm not sure what the best answer is to that. Uh, but I absolutely know somebody who knows, um, and uh, and so prayer prayer is an important thing for for me. So if we do some of that, we're not just doing the regular beginning and ending. You may find there's some stuff going on. In the middle, and I also want to let, let you know that if there's anything significant that is said tonight, it's probably from either of of either Tim Keller, Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, or Pete Gregg. Um, and uh, and if you took out everything that they said, this message would be about five minutes long. Um, and uh, so, just so you're aware, um, and of course, there's about two or three times as much as I can fit in into this. So there is actually a, um, if you're interested in any part of this, or you just want to see a bunch of notes that I created that, that kind of became this, then um, send me an email and I'll send, send, send you that. And, and it's got the link, link, links in it and so on. So if you want to explore any of this more, you can. And an, another way to explore any of this um, further is we've got some books here. And so, so if you get bored as I'm talking, glance down at, and just choose any one of the books and decide that that's going to be what you explore further. Um, so, so as far as this message, what's going to happen? You're going to see some scriptures. You're going to see some quotes from some folks way smarter than I am. And, um, and there's going to be a video later too. Um, and, uh, and you'll see how that fit, fits in with everything. Um, and then as I look around, I think everybody kind of knows me, but I always feel like, you know, we, we meet together week after week and there's probably a bunch of things you don't know about me. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to give you a lit list of things real, real fast here. Here they are. I am a 65 year old guy with leukemia. 
who's married to a woman who is working on homelessness on the mountain. Happens to be over here. And you really should have clapped right then. I don't know why you didn't. Um, who has two golden retrievers. They're named Luke and Leah. You don't get to meet Leah tonight, but, but Luke may be wandering around later. Um, and I'm interested in community, and I'm interested in following Jesus and figuring out what that means in all of its depth, and you're going to hear more about that later. Um, and uh, I'm a therapist as well, which I have in common with R- Rhonda, um, and, uh, except that I'm seeing clients all over the state. She, she gets to see clients kind of in the area here. Um, and, uh, and so the reason that's important is that I have kind of structured my life so that now I spend about 20 hours a week doing clinical work so that we pay our bills and then the rest of that time is available to create a nonprofit that's going to figure out what community is on the mountain and how small group community would look and so that's the dream and uh, it's amazing that God has kind of has kind of graciously put all of that together um that I've been working on that for probably 2 years now um and uh, and now it's all kind of it's all at a place where I have the freedom in terms of the money in terms of health in terms of all the things I need um so when I mentioned the leukemia earlier, don't think that means that I'm not going to be around for the next few few weeks. Actually, I have the type of leukemia that they call chronic, and that's the type you want um, because it it is chronic. It's ongoing, right? You don't die from it generally. Um, and uh, and I also have a team of folks that are helping to keep me alive. And so as far as we know, I'm going to be around for a long time. Um, so in case there was anybody worried about about me being ter- terminally ill, I'm the healthiest person you know who is who is who has that kind of illness. Um, right. So uh, I'm a trip. I'm, I'm, I may be I'm, I'm, I may have a really serious illness, but I also am incredibly healthy. OK, so. So uh, so let's let's go ahead and dive in. But before we do that. We definitely should pray. Lord, Lord God, this whole thing about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, your kingdom, after you, this is, this is stuff that you have to be doing. This is not stuff that we do. This is not stuff that's the direct result of, of things that we do. This is stuff that you do. And so even this, as we're talking about it now, I am asking that you would, that you would take control of all of this, um, and uh, and I would ask. I realize every person in this room is at a different place in terms of their spiritual formation, but I think everybody in this room is on that path. And if you're not on that path, then we sh- we should talk talk about it because I have some warnings for you late later. But but that but I I absolutely just want to put this in your hands and say, please take control of all of this. Let this be about about us being taken to our next step, whatever that is. And we pray that in Jesus' name because we really think it's all about him. Amen. Um, so, so the one phrase, well, there's probably other things that I remember, but one phrase I remember from some of the work that Brandon has done so far on this is that, is that the Beatitudes are, are a path toward what he likes to call Edenic thriving. Um, and I was meditating on that, and I was think, think, thinking about how, how that, that this beatitude is kind of the coolest one because the three before are, are the ones that qualify you for this, right? If you're not, if you're not spiritually poor, if you're not, if you're not bummed that you're spiritually poor, if your ego isn't under control, you probably don't care about any of this, right? You probably don't care about about being somebody who hungers and thirsts for right righteousness. Um, so, uh, so, so, but before we dive into all of that, I did want to. I've always thought it was almost humorous that um, there is an amplified translation of the Bible that that would probably be fun if we had a church that this is what we read from. Right, but it would take a lot longer. Um, 
And uh, But it's kind of cool because some of the words in this are difficult words, and we're kind of asking, well, what does it really mean? And so the Amplified Translation kind of, kind of helps us understand that. So this whole idea of blessedness, what does that mean? And so in the Amplified, it's blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous. Um, and, uh, and then that, and then just to, to jump to the end, that idea about being satisfied, um, the thing that, that I really, that stood out to me in the re- research, and only one commentator said, said, said this, but I still wanted to say it, and that is not only being satisfied, but being, being saturated with right righteousness. Um, and that just that seemed powerful to me. That seemed really good. That seemed really close to our idea of being of being in a baptized state, right? Because if you look look at the Greek word about being baptized, you find that part of it is about this idea of being immersed in the life of Christ and having that permeate every part of who you are. So the saturation seemed 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 cool cool to me. Um, and then of course some some of you. Don't like this translation, but but just, just see if there's anything helpful in this. You're blessed, you're blessed when you work when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Um, and uh, and I was like, I mean, I, I like that translation. It's what what we call a thought to thought translation. It's not like, and so I'm not sure it's really accurate to call it a paraphrase. It's more like that that it's, it's intended to translate from from the original language thought to the idiom of our current stuff, um, which is a really a challenge. But seems to be one guy on the planet that used to be able to do that really really well. Um, okay, and then I thought there was a. A nice parallel text because it helps to expand the righteousness idea, which is the text that you all you all probably know, Matthew six, thirty three, in the same sermon. And I try to keep a lot of this stuff in the same sermon because I feel like that's that's more likely to be in keeping with the intent of Jesus. Um, and so, so seeking first the kingdom of God and relaxing in that all of these things will be added to you. All of these things, meaning all the things that you that you stress about, um, and uh, and I also found. Uh, oh, I should have said this earlier that this whole idea of thriving, of of being driven to Edenic thriving, I think Lewis has a great idea that's kind of underneath that, which is. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, and I think we find that, right? Um, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Oh. Right? And I thought that was a great, that was a great way of saying this because I think that's a nice kind of foundational truth underneath the Beatitudes. Um, you're not made for whatever lesser things you're being drawn toward. You're really made for this. You're really made for the hunger and thirst that we're dealing with tonight. Um, and then, uh, and some of you know Spurgeon, and Spurgeon talk, talked about blessedness as spiritually prosperous, independent of one's circumstances, because it's a state bestowed by God and not merely a feeling. Fortunate, approved of God, happy, and then independent of happenings. That seems like that covers it. That seems like that's a really nice, complete sense of what Jesus is is wanting for us. Um, okay. And... Um, a blank slide in there. I don't know why that's there. Uh, all right. So, so first, I want to do a warning, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it at least two or three times in the message. And I may be a little bit of an obsessive person about this. I actually think that it's an incredibly big deal whenever we talk about righteousness or whenever we talk about anything that we do. 
I think it's really important that we put that in context in terms of what the gospel is all about. And so here's what I mean. That when we talk about righteousness, your acts, things that you're doing, the danger is somehow to think or feel or believe that if you do certain things, God is going to approve of you. And I think that that's a really, in the context of the gospel, I think that's a really, really big danger. I think that's a really, really big problem because if we understand the gospel, we know that the reason God thoroughly approves of me has nothing to do with the sermon I prepared, has nothing to do with what Brandon thinks about me, has nothing to do with what my wife thinks about me or my good friends. It really has to do with one thing. It has to do with what Jesus did to make it so that I could experience eternal life, mm-hmm. right? And not, not just eternal life like living forever. I think we tend to focus too much on that. That eternal life right now, that Jesus did what he did, and we'll talk more, more about it soon, but he did what he did so that I could experience that. And I think that's, that's a really, really big deal. And I think that the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we kind of know is a dangerous thing, right? Maybe some of us have fallen into that kind of thing where we have like lists of rules, like if you don't drink and if you don't swear and if you don't go to movies of a certain kind, that that somehow you're going to be good with God. Um, but, but hopefully we know that that's that's really, really close to Pharisaic right righteousness and doesn't have anything to do with what what we need in order to experience the eternal life that God wants us to have. Um, I think what's more dangerous is our right, right righteousness. Um, and we're going to be talking more about that as we move on. And, and, uh, and so what I'd like to do now is fairly quickly, I'd like to hammer away at what I was just saying, this idea of what the gospel is, because I think I want the gospel to be the under, I want the gospel to be the foundation for the work that we do. Um, and so I found some really nice statements of, of what the gospel is. Of course, one of the, of course, one way we, we talk about the gospel is that it's the life and death and resurrection that Jesus did. Right? And what that means to us. Okay? And that's true. I think there's some other ways to say it that might be, more, that might, might be more powerful, might be more helpful to us, um, especially if we're not familiar with that very, very much. One thing we know is that grace is a big deal. Right? That grace, meaning what he did, matters. What I do doesn't. Um, and there's that great story that I wasn't going to tell, but I feel like I have to say this. The, that, um, that I love the John Wesley story about how he spent years being a priest and then one night heard somebody reading the text from Luther's um, commentary and he came to the part of saying, is there nothing for me? Is there nothing I should do? And the text says, no, nothing. That Jesus did it. Jesus did all of it. And that that was the explanation of the righteousness of Christ. And I think that was a, that was a really, that, that was a powerful quote for me because it really helps me to think about it. It's really not about me. Um, so, uh, so here's one of my heroes, um, William Wilberforce, um, and there's a book he has called uh, Real Christianity, and if you get my notes, you're going to find that there's like li- literally a full page that I took from that, but I don't have time to read it now. So, so all, all I did was take this part, which is him talking about grace and how we should relate to grace. Embrace grace. It is a gift to you. It cost Jesus his life. He suffered to make it all possible. It was not given to you because you were good, but because God loves you. When you really grasp this, you will surrender yourself into his hands. Nothing else makes any sense. I just thought that was a really nice statement of, what, of how we relate to, 
to grace. Um, and then here's a statement from Dallas Willard that grace, it's God acting in our lives to bring about what we can't make happen on our own. And then this last phrase I think is important. It's not opposed to action, but to earning. Because we're going to talk later about, well, what are we supposed to be doing? I think there are things that we can do. I think there are reasons why many of us go many, many years without any significant hunger and thirst for right righteousness and without any significant um, sense in which we're satisfied. I think there are things that we can do, um, but I like the idea of saying that grace is not opposed to action, um, but it's opposed to earning. You're not going to earn anything from God. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we go on. Um, okay, here's another statement of, of the gospel, and this is from... Uh, Tim Keller, who's another one of my heroes, and he passed away re- recently. I think that, you know, if God would have consulted me about when he should pass away, he would be around for another 20 years. Um, and uh, But God didn't, and he passed away. But one of the contributions I think he has made to us is he's said some really powerful, clear things about the gospel. And this is one, I actually cleaned it up a little bit at the top, but but I love the way he said said this, cheer up. You are more of a broken and disgusting loser than you ever imagined. Um, yet, you're more loved than you ever dared hope. And, uh, and that's really a nice crystallized way of the way he liked to share the gospel. He felt like you had to get both of those things. Um, and that the result, the result of your experiencing the gospel is that you have a righteousness that is not your own, and that you hunger and you thirst after a righteousness that isn't your own. And so I thought that was another thing in the context of what we're talking about tonight that was really important. Um, so, so that so the parallel passage that that I think makes this really really clear is that is the John fifteen passage. Abide in me. And I and you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, and I think that, that that makes it really clear. There is, a, there is an activity that goes on. There are things that we do, but, there, but it, is not, it is not about our agency, Right? Um, that you realize, I mean, the illustration makes it really clear that that the branches really aren't going to be effective without the vine. Um, that there is a source of life. Us being connected to that is incredibly important. Um, and then later in the same sermon, um, Jesus is going to be making a statement that I think is incredibly important for us to meditate on, which is, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the king, king kingdom. I think that's, that's important because the scribes and Pharisees behaviorally are way better than anybody in this room. Right? And... In terms of Calvary Chapel values, I mean, they're way better in terms of their knowledge of Scripture, right? Way better, way better. I mean, they had much of it memorized. Um, and so there's something really important here about, about the idea that, that if our righteousness doesn't go beyond that, that that's going to be a pro- problem. Okay, um, and then what I did is I found another statement, and this is from Dallas Willard, and I really like this because I think the danger for us is that we tend to want to focus on our actions and our ministry and our success and our fruit, fruitfulness and so on. And I think this statement makes it really clear that we're getting that wrong. 
I now believe that the most important thing that God gets out of my life, man, that I get, is the person that I become. That the things I might accomplish in the way of ministry are really very small in comparison to my becoming Christ-like. So are you, are you hearing how important that is? I mean, do you see what the danger is that we generally have, that we, th- that we think in terms of it's really important that our ministries accomplish whatever they're supposed to? Well, actually, it's really important that you become more like Christ. Um, and, and then everything else is a byproduct. And that we can trust him with that because we probably don't get it anyway. I mean, I've noticed in ministry settings that most of the time the vision statements and the, the goals and the things that we set up um, later in the, in the wisdom of hindsight aren't necessarily what God was doing anyway. Um, that it becomes clear that what he was really doing is he was making us more like Christ. Um, so I think that's, a, that's an important idea to kind of camp on. Um, okay, so move, moving on, what I want to do is now is to kind of get at the issue of uh, of what righteousness is and also what it isn't. And so we may cause a little bit of tr- trouble in in the way we define it. One of the things I said earlier is that there's this kind of part one, part two right righteousness thing. And if I was hearing Brandon correctly, I think what he's saying there is that is that there is that the part one right righteousness is that is the that we need to get the idea that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us, right? Jesus' righteousness is given to us. God sees his righteousness rather than us. And that part two is that he plays out, he plays out the the righteousness of Jesus in making us more like Christ. In some circles, we talk about this like um, spiritual formation, which I don't think is a bad term. I think it's kind of nice to keep our attention on the idea that the central thing happening in your life is that Christ is being formed in you. That's the key. That's the thing. Now, he can do anything else he wants to with, with that, but basically he's forming, he's forming Christ in you. Um, all right. So, so we've said it's the righteousness we're talking about isn't the righteousness of the Pharisees. We've said it is about becoming Christ-like. It is about transformation. And and so there are some practical ways, practical things that we should expect God to do in in Him carrying out the righteousness of Christ in us. Um, this quote was actually by a by a, a student at a university who was the who's in charge of a of a justice club that focused most of their time on rescuing um kids from slavery and raising awareness about slave slavery and also on the issue of homelessness and about how to deal with people who don't have homes and who don't have their basic needs met and so her comment was when you're actually going to seek justice Locally, you tend to get involved with people's lives, and that gets messy. Um, and and I think that's an important thing for us to sort of see at the outset. It's way easier. I mean, I tend to be a communicator. It's way easier for me to talk about stuff like like being um, dealing with the homeless and dealing with global slavery and so on. It's way easier for me to talk about that than it is to actually get involved in doing it. Um, in the last two hours, I was actually um, from like three to five, I was, I was doing this meeting with, with, a, with, with a group group of folks that one of them was a um, person who has a law degree and she had spent a significant amount of her time rescuing kids legally from slavery. Um, and, and so as she talked about that, 
you might think, well, this is just really great news, and this, she must be really excited. Actually, what she talked about was burnout, and she talked about how tough that is. Um, that how tough it is to not only deal with the systems of trafficking, but how tough it is to deal with the sinful realities that get that get um, that the person involved gets saturated with. Um, and so, for example, one thing we know about about trafficking is that rescuing people from trafficking is really a pretty small part of the solution. That once we've done that, it's not. It's not weeks or months. It's like about two years, assuming it's a successful thing. It's about two years to go through a successful recovery process because there's all sorts of thoughts that they have, all sorts of beliefs that they have about themselves, all sorts of habits and all sorts of, of um, things about the abuse that they went through that are going to make rescuing really, really hard. Um, and so I think the idea that it's messy um, is a part of what we need to be to be aware of and to be willing to engage in. Um, so, so getting back to this idea of righteousness, one idea that I really want us to spend a little bit of time on tonight is the idea of what disciplines are. You might call them that, or you might call them spiritual practices, and what. Are they? If I made, I mean, I made a big deal early on about how you're not earning your salvation, um, but at, but at the same time, are spiritual practices a good idea? Um, and I think what what we want to say here is that spiritual practices are a really, really good idea because they're putting you in a place where. God can do what He wants to do in your life to make you more like Christ, right? But that's the point, and that's the order, and we'll talk more about that as we go on. Um, and 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 when we talk about righteousness, there's a lot of things you could do in terms of the of the of the of the prophets and so on. And I didn't feel like we had time to do that tonight, but I did feel like one thing was probably good to highlight because it's so central to the life of Jesus. And so, um, and I always think, you know, beginnings are important and endings are important. And so when you think about Jesus beginning his ministry, um, most of you, I think, are aware that what happened is he went to the synagogue and he um, found the place where this was written. And think about this in the context of justice and righteousness. And so when you think about the question of how much, how much justice is included in righteousness, ask yourself that in the context of what Jesus said at the very beginning when he was saying, I mean, it's a little bit like the importance of, of when Jesus called disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you what? Yeah, I, I will transform you into people that fish for, for men. So that seems like that must be really, really important then. So if that was the very first thing he said. Well, the very first thing he said at the beginning of his ministry was, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to comfort all who mourn, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That just seems to have justice and righteousness all through it. That just goes right through, that, that goes through throughout that text. I think Jesus is making it really clear that that this this justice thing is really important to him. And I know there's some directions we could go that would simply just create a lot of of, of um, divergence. And and I know society is even Christian society. I noticed as I read research this is really polarized about things like okay, what is what does justice mean and what does social just justice mean and so on. But I think what I want to do now is sim- simply say whatever it is 
if justice isn't a part of what God is creating in you in terms of Christ likeness, then there's probably something mismissing. Um, and uh, and then if I could if I could plug a book, I would say I think it's one of the books I bought. Um, I would say that that Tim Keller wrote a book called Generous Just- Justice. And and Tim Keller is easy for me to trust. I mean, he's really men- mentored me, not that he knows me, but that he's men- men- mentored me for quite a few years, and his, his counsel and his wisdom have been easy for me to trust. Um, and, um, but even just the subtitle of this book is sort of worth, worth considering. The book is Generous Justice, and the subtitle is How God's Grace Makes Us Just. So that seems like a really nice way to say that, that God's grace is making us just. Um, and then if you want to know exactly how that works, I think Tim Keller is a good guy to hear explain that. Okay. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about practices, about what disciplines really are, and then how that could translate into our lives. And and honestly, I stole most of this from Dallas Willard. Um, and uh, and I find that when there's words that are they're so familiar to me that I feel like I don't really understand the wisdom of them, Dallas Willard can often define them in a way that, okay, now I get it. Yeah, I totally understand that now. Um, and uh, so that's why I rely a lot on him throughout this. Um, so, and this first thing isn't Dallas Willard. It's actually, um, there's a, there's a group I'm involved with um, where we are being asked to read a bunch, bunch of books, but one of the people in the book, in the group, uh, suggested a book um, by um, Adele Calhoun, and it's called The Spiritual Practices Handbook. I think it's like a 700-page book, um, but... Uh, but it's out of all this handbook, spiritual handbook type stuff, spiritual practice type stuff I've ever read, I found it the most helpful and the most readable. Um, and uh, so, but but one of the things she said in the in the intro that really I think is important for us to keep in our heads is is that spiritual practices don't give us spiritual brownie points. They don't help us work the system for a passing grade from God. Isn't that what we kind of feel at times, uh, right? I mean, I did fasting, so that's got to be good, right? I mean, that's got to be better than not doing fasting. Um, they simply put us in a place, and this is the important state statement, they put us in a place where we can begin to notice God and respond to his word to us. So I think that that gives us a, a nice sense of what that's all about, um, so, uh, so if you want Dallas Willard to just, to, uh, define spiritual practices for you, here you go. It's something in your power that you do in order to enable you to do what you can't do by your direct work or effort result. The result is what comes out of you is different because what is in you is different. And then he has this kind of several-step process that he talks about. About First, we need to decide to be Jesus' student. And then in the language of action and reflection, we need to decide to be Jesus' student. We need to do the practices. We need to... So we're acting... And we're reflecting and we're relying, but not on the practices, but on Jesus. If there's one thing that maybe out of this whole message that is really important for you to get, I would say that's the most important thing. You're not relying on the practices. 
I actually think fasting is a really good idea. I think memorizing scripture is a really good idea. I think there's a whole bunch of other practices that we in the modern church don't even think about that are a really good idea. But I also think they're dangerous because we could rely on them. And it's not about them. It's about, it's about Jesus behind them. Okay, and so... So I thought one way to be really practical about this, uh, I mean, I'm a clinic, I'm a clinician, so, so we often talk, we often deal with like specific problems. One specific problem we often deal with is pornography. Um, and, and to be candid with you, if I'm dealing with a client who's trying to master the addiction of pornography, this is going to be a really, really difficult game if that person's not a believer. Because, frankly, everything I know that we have in psychology is pretty much behavioral. I mean, I know some good stuff behaviorally. I know what to do, right? I mean, we, we could probably come up with our top five strategies and say, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do, and here's, and here's the best we got. But it's the best we got, I mean, in terms of psychology. What what Jesus is saying, whether it's about pornography or any other life-dominating sin or any other sinful pattern, what Jesus is saying is he wants to trans... He's not just concerned about the behavior. And if you're not sure about this, you, you can actually see um, the, the stuff he says later when he talks about anger and lust and divorce and so on, that he's really way less concerned about behaviors than he is concerned about you, about what's inside of you, right? So it's about transformation. Um, and uh, so so here's, here's the Dallas Willard take on, on that particular problem, but I think it applies to pretty much most enslaving problems. With reference to pornography or other enslaving stuff, we're not talking about repressing desire or denying its reality. We're talking about not having the desire. The person who would change must desire to not have the desires that they now have and be willing to do the things that will eliminate the desire. And that would be the practices, the spiritual practices. So God's way less concerned about, about me looking at pornography, although that's a bad thing in the same way that killing somebody is a bad thing, than he is about me becoming the sort of person who isn't interested in doing that. Or if we talk about the, the murder, um, the example of murder, way less concerned about me murdering somebody, although that's bad, um, but then he is about me becoming the sort of person who doesn't relate to people that would include, in a way that would include murder, right? So it's transformation. It's transformation. It's not just, it's not just, um, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not just the practices. It's not just the behavior. All right. Um, so now we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of risks here. This this is where I feel like there's a saying that we often use around my my house, and it makes my wife cringe. That that we often say, sometimes you just need to let Mike be Mike. <laughs> um, and uh, and I and I think there's probably been enough experience on her part that she thinks, okay, then and what exactly are you talking about, and how is that going to work? Um, okay, so so to wrap wrap up this idea of of hungering and thirsting for right righteousness, um, if there's one one person that's probably quoted in the United States more than anybody else, um, that would be Tozer, right? Okay, his prayer that I thought really connects directly to this is this. Oh God, I've tasted your goodness and it's made me thirsty for more and I'm painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. So begin in me a mercy, begin in mercy a new work 
of love within me. And so I thought that was a really, a really nice, powerful way of saying that. Um, okay. Uh, now, what I'm going to do is just spend about, I don't know, two, two minutes telling you about uh, an experience that I've been going through for the last two or three years, and then you'll see how it connects with this. Um, so, so first I should, I should say in about 1999, there's a guy named Pete Grieg who was a pastor of a youth group. And he was really clear on one thing. Well, two things, really. One thing is that, is that prayer is really, really important. The other thing was that they really kind of suck at it. That they, that group, they really didn't do prayer very well. And so what made sense to him and to the group he was leading was, what if we had prolonged periods of prayer? What if we started like, uh, I'm not sure if they started calling it this then, but what if we had 24-7 prayer? And some of you know 24-7 prayer, right? That 24, and 24-7 prayer basically meant we're going to have this room, we're going to make it as conducive as we can to prayer, we're going to set up a schedule so that there's going to be one hour for John and one hour for Sally and one hour for... And so we're, we're, we're going to have 24-7 prayer. And they thought, maybe we could do this for a week. Maybe we could pull, pull that off. And they did it, and... And what they found was that God really met them there. And this is now a global 24-7 prayer move, movement. Um, and so in most places in the world now, you can, you can Google 24-7 prayer and you can find a place where that's what happens. There's this, there's this place, it's a room, it's not just like a, a room with, with white walls, it's a room that's very kind of, um, created for being creative, and and um, and it's a place where you can sign up and go for an hour or more, and you can pray. Um, okay, so this turned into a big big thing, and if you want to read more about that, you can read some of the Pete Greig books, um, which I I suggest. I think that that would be an amazing thing. <clears throat> Another thing the twenty four seven movement did is um, they rekindled. It hadn't been going on for quite a while, but they rekindled this thing called um, the mustard seed, the order of the mustard seed, and and this is an order. Um, how many folks in this room, even when you think about joining an order, does that seem like an interesting, attractive thing to you? Who else? Maybe one person. See, that's pretty much the way that the church is to, to, today in that we aren't, we're not interested in that, this idea of orders. I mean, when you think of an order, you think of what? A vow of silence or a vow of poverty or a vow of chastity or about, and none of that sounds like any fun, right? Um, so the order of the, of the mustard seed, here's the, um, here's, here's the story. There was this guy, Named Zinzendorf, when he was, and he was a no, a nobleman. Actually, I should say noble boy. This is when he was about, I think, somewhere around fourteen, um, and he was absolutely committed in a ridiculous, crazy way to Christ. Um, and so he turned around to some of his friends and found some friends who were also committed to Christ in a ridiculous, crazy way, and they ended up creating this thing called the Order. And so, so the order has has um, has three different vows, and uh, and I might show you what they are. We'll see. All right, maybe it'd be better if I just told you what they are. Um, that so the three vows, which I absolutely should know because I've been in a year of of um, preparing for this, and then I've been. I'm now in a in a year of, of getting ready for the vows themselves, and I'm actually going to take the vows in September. So, uh, so if I can't remember what all three vows are, then this is really bad. Uh, I'll just t- tell you up front. Um, so there are three vows. There are two practices for each vow. Um, and that's part of why I like this. Um, Pete Grieg also likes the idea that it's just, this is simple and it's easy. And so what they call this is a dispersed order. They call it a, a, a dispersed lay order. 
So we're not doing any of the vow of chastity and that 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 kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so the 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 three vows are number one, be true to Christ. Number two, be kind to everyone. Number three, take the gospel to the world. Now, those are general, so you kind of need practices. Otherwise, how do you know what you're doing? Um, And so the practices that are attached to each of those. So be true to Christ is about being prayerful and being creative. And I actually think... I'm not mistaken, that the intent is to connect those two, that we're not just talking about the way we typically pray. We're talking about praying in very creative, expansive ways. And then the second vow is about being kind to everyone. And I promise you, this is not just, it probably includes, but it's not just being nice, right? So being kind to everyone is about mercy, is about various mercy ministries, and it's about being just. It's about it's about creating more more justice in the world. And then the third, taking the gospel to the nations, is about is about missions, but it's also about lifelong learning, which kind of gets back to that whole creative thing. Um, and when you think about it, when you look in the gospels. When Jesus shared the truth with people, did he have a four-step way of doing that that he simply repeated each time? He didn't, and he didn't do the same thing twice. Um, So the idea of having the message of the gospel be 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 not only accurate, but also be creative and 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 to address the need of whoever we're dealing with. I think that's really an important thing. Um, okay, so that's simply one example. The only reason I bring bring that up now is it's one example of of taking of figuring out what a spiritual practice would look like that would put me in a position where I would be much more likely to be responsive to God's word and to God's spirit and what He's doing. That's the the point. So am I saying all of you should take those vows? No, no, you guys might not need need them. Some of us do, though. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of what we call a rule of life, we often say things like, weak as we are and foolish as we are, and then we make the commitment, whatever it is. There's a lot of humility in the rules that we're creating. There's a lot of humility in the commitments that we're ma- making. And ever since I came to know Christ when I was 17, so it's been a little while, um, I have been aware of the fact that God changes me through being, um, I mean, through a lot of things, but especially through being with people that are sold out to him. Right, having relationship with people that are that are that are not just nominal believers, but that are willing to do whatever Jesus would say. And the more time I spend with those people, the better I get. This is good for me, right? And I've had several times in my life when God has really made it clear that okay, here's a place where that's available to you. And this order of the mustard seed is definitely one of those. Um, and um, so now I've spent time with uh, a group. The cohort I'm involved with is about six of us, and um, I've spent time with them now about, I don't know, nine or ten times, um, and then we're actually going to get to spend some time where, where we're in the same room. And and every single time I've come out of that feeling like like my spiritual formation is supercharged in a way that it wasn't going to be supercharged by just me memorizing more more of the bible verse verses not to say that that's a bad thing but but it it wasn't going to be supercharged it's it was supercharged in a way that wasn't going to happen hearing another sermon um and uh, so so i think that's a really that's a really really powerful thing okay so here's where where i'm going to uh Here's where I'm going to close, and this is the part about letting Mike be Mike. Um, oh, I should probably t- tell you that um, 
I think it was the first, yeah, it was the first year that the 24-7 prayer groups started, not groups, the 24-7 prayer experiences started happening that Pete Grieg had an, I think he was scheduled to do a prayer hour of like at two in the morning or whatever, because if you're going to do 24-7 prayer, you have to do it around the clock, right? Um, and so so I think he was scheduled to do like at two o'clock in the morning. And the way he describes it, he says that he uh, he was full of Red Bull and um, because he, he didn't want to go in and sleep, right? And so, and so he went in and he was praying and that the words that came out, and he simply wrote them, I think, with a marker on the wall. Um, the words that came out are the words that now are in this very attractive form. So this guy comes up to me and says, what's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and words come out like this. The vision the vision is Jesus, obsessively, dangerously, undeniably, Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones, I see an army, and they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine to five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and cross on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They are mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the hurting and dirty and dying. What's the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. Light flickers from every secret motive, every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps, their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause. A million times a day, its soldiers choose to lose that they might want they win the great well done of faithful sons and daughters such heroes are as radical on monday morning as sunday night they do not need fame from names instead they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowd chanting again and again come on the sound of the underground, the whisper of history in the making, foundation shaking, revolutionaries dreaming once again, mystery is steaming in whispers, conspiracy is breathing, this is the sound of the underground and the army is disciplined, young people who beat their bodies into submission, every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms, the tattoo on their back boasts for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes. Winners, martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking. With warrior cries so full of tears and with great barrel loads of laughter. Waiting, watching, 24, 7, 3, 6, 5... Whatever it takes, they will give, breaking the rules, shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide, laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs, laughing at labels, fasting essentials, the advertisers cannot mold them, Hollywood cannot hold them, peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve at late night parties before cockroach cries, they are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside and on the outside, they hardly care, they wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate but never to hide would they surrender their image or their popularity they would lay down their very lives swap seats with the man on death row guilty as hell a throne from an electric chair with blood and sweat and many tears with sleepless nights and fruitless days they pray as if it all depends on god and live as if it all depends on them their dna chooses jesus he breathes out and they breathe in their subconscious Shopping centers, don't you hear them coming? Herald the widows, 
stop there because I feel like that passion matters a lot and I hope that moves you the way it moved me that that um, that this is worthy of our emotions right this is worthy of our of 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 changing us not just our behavior but changing who we are so let's pray Lord, Lord God that was fun for me. I hope that meant some, some something to them. Um, and uh, I just pray that you would take each person in this room, as we said at the beginning, wherever we are, take us to the next place. If it's to read a book or if it's to memorize a passage or if it's to have a meeting with somebody or whatever that next step is, let this be about um, us taking the next step and let us be completely convinced that the work of Jesus on the cross, the work of Jesus in our lives is what matters. And let nobody in this room think that their righteousness is going to solve their approval problem. And I pray this in the name of Jesus because his approval is really, really cool. Amen. Amen.